Section 2 of Stories by Foreign Authors, German Authors, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Bonita Springs, Florida. Stories by Foreign Authors, German Authors, Volume 2 by Various, Section 2. Christian Gellert's Last Christmas by Berthold Auerbach from German Tales. Christopher turned round. There was an odd look of irresolution in his eyes as he said, Eh? Eh? What time is it? Half past ten. Then the wood is now no longer mine, at least to sell. And collecting himself, he became suddenly warm, and with firm hand turned his horses round and begged the woodman who accompanied him to point him out the way to the house with a Schwarzbrett or Dr. Junius's. There he delivered a full load. At each log he took out of the wagon, he smiled oddly. The wood measurer measured the wood carefully, turning each log and placing it exactly that there might not be a crevice anywhere. Why are you so over particular today, pray? asked Christopher, and he received for answer, Professor Gellert must have a fair load. Every shaving kept back from him were a sin. Christopher laughed aloud, and the wood measurer looked at him with amazement, for such particularity generally provoked a quarrel. Christopher had still some logs over. These he kept by him on the wagon. At this moment the servant Sauer came up and asked to whom the wood belonged. To Professor Gelbert, answered Christopher. The man's mad. It isn't true. Professor Gellert has not bought any wood. It is my business to look after that. He has not bought it, and yet it is his, cried Christopher. Sauer was on the point of giving the mad peasant a hearty scolding, raising his voice so much the louder as it was striking eleven by St. Nicholas. At this moment, however, he became suddenly mute, for yonder from the university there came, with tired gait, a man of a noble countenance. At every step he made, on this side and on that, off came the hats and caps of the passers-by, and Sauer simply called out, Here comes the professor himself. What a peculiar expression passed over Christopher's face. He looked at the newcomer, and so earnest was his gaze, that Gellert, who always walked with his head bowed, suddenly looked up. Christopher said, Mr. Gellert, I am glad to see you still alive. I thank you, said Gellert, and made as though he would pass on, but Christopher stepped up closer to him, and stretching out his hand to him, said, I have taken the liberty. I should like, will you give me your hand, Mr. Gellert? Gellert drew his long, thin hand out of his muff, and placed it in the hard, oaken-like hand of the peasant. And at this moment, when the peasant's hand lay in the scholar's palm, as one felt the other's pressure in actual living grasp, there took place, though the mortal actors in the scene were all unconscious of it, a renewal of that healthy life which alone can make a people one. How long had the learned world, wrapped up in itself, separated from fellow-men around, thought in Latin, felt its foreigners, and lived buried in contemplation of bygone worlds. 
from the time of gellert commences the ever-increasing unity of good fellowship throughout all classes of life kept up by mutual giving and receiving as the scholars as the solitary poet endeavors to work upon others by lays that quicken and songs that incite so he in his turn is a debtor to his age and the lonely thinking and writing become the property of all but the effects are not seen in a moment for higher than the most highly gifted spirit of any single man is the spirit of a nation with the pressure which gellert and the peasant exchanged commenced a mighty change in universal life which never more can cease to act permit me to enter your room said christopher and gellert nodded assent he was so courteous that he motioned to the peasant to enter first however sour went close after him he thought it must be a madman he must protect his master the man looked just as if he were drunk gellert with his amenusus pudique followed them gellert however felt that the man must be actuated by pure motives he bade the others retire and took christopher alone into his study and as he clasped his left with his own right hand he asked well my good friend what is your business eh? oh nothing i've only brought you a load of wood there a fair full load however i'll give you the few logs which i have in my wagon as well my good man my servant sour looks after buying my wood it is no question of buying no my dear sir i give it to you give it to me why me particularly oh sir you do not know at all what good you do what good you have done me and my wife was right why should there not be really pious men in our day too surely the sun still shines as he shone thousands of years ago all is now the same as then and the god of old is still living well, certainly uh, certainly i am glad to see you so pious ah believe me dear sir i am not always so pious and that i am so disposed to-day is owing to you we have no more confessionals now but i can confess to you and you have taken a heavier load from my heart than a wagon-load of wood oh sir i am not what i was in my early days i was a high-spirited merry lad and out in the field and indoors in the inn and the spinning-rooms there was none who could sing against me but that is long past what has a man on whose head the grave blossoms are growing and he pointed to his gray head to do with all that trash and besides the seven years war has put a stop to all our singing but last night in the midst of the fearful cold i sang a lay set expressly for me all old tunes go to it and it seemed to me as though i saw a signpost which pointed i know not whither or nay i do know whither and now the peasant related how discontented and unhappy in his mind he had been and how the words in the lay had all at once raised his spirits and accompanied him upon the journey like a good fellow who talks to one cheerfully at this part of the peasant's tale gellert folded his hand in silence 
and the peasant concluded how i always envied others i cannot now think why but you i do envy sir i should like to be as you and gellert answered i thank god and rejoice greatly that my writings have been of some service to you think not so well of me would god i were really the good man i appear in your eyes i am far from being such as i should such as i would fain be i write my books for my own improvement also to show myself as well as others what manner of men we should be laughing the peasant replied you put me in mind of the story of my poor mother used to tell of the old minister he stood up once in the pulpit and said my dear friends i speak not only for you but for myself also i too have need of it christopher laughed outrageously when he had finished and gellert smiled and said yes whoever in the darkness lighteth another with a lamp lighteth himself also and the light is not part of ourselves it is put into our hands by him who hath appointed the sons their courses the peasant stood speechless and looked out on the ground there was something within him which took away the power of looking up he was only conscious that it ill became him to laugh so loudly just now when he told the story of the old minister a longer pause ensued and gellert seemed to be lost in reflection upon this reference to a minister's work for he said half to himself oh how would it fulfil my dearest wish to be a village pastor to move about among my people and really be one with them the friend of their souls my whole life long never to lose them out of my sight yonder goes one whom i have led into the right way there another with whom i still wrestle but whom i shall assuredly save and in them all the teaching lives which god proclaims by me did i not think that i should be acting against my duty i would this moment choose a country life for the remnant of my days when i look from my window over the country i have before me the broad sky of which we citizens know but little a scene entirely new there i stand and lose myself for half an hour in gazing and in thinking yes good friend envy no man in the rank of scholars look at me i am almost always ill and what a burden is a sickly body how strong on the contrary are you i am never happier than when without being remarked i can watch a dinner-table thronged by hungry men and maids even if these folks be not generally so happy as their superiors at table they are certainly happier yes sir we relish our eating and drinking and lately when felling and sorting out that wood below i was more than usually lively it seems as though i had a notion i was to do some good with it and must i permit you to make me a present asked gellert resting his chin upon his left hand and the peasant answered it is not worth talking about nay it might be well worth talking about but i accept your present it is pride not to be ready to accept a gift is not all we have a gift from god and what one man gives another he gives as is most appropriately said for god's sake were i your minister 
I should be pleased to accept a present from you. You see, good friend, we men have no occasion to thank each other. You have given me nothing of yours, and I have given you nothing of mine. That the trees grow in the forest is none of your doing. It is the work of the creator and preserver of the world. And the soil is not yours, and the sun and the rain are not yours. They are all the works of his hand. And if, perchance, I have some healthy thoughts rising up in my soul, which benefit my fellow men, it is none of mine, it is his doing. The word is not mine, and the spirit is not mine, and I am but an instrument in his hand. Therefore, one man needs not to utter words of thanks to his fellow, if every one would but acknowledge who it really is that gives. The peasant looked up in astonishment. Yeller remarked it and said, Understand me aright. I thank you from my heart. You have done a kind action. But that the tree grows is none of yours, and it is none of mine that thoughts arise in me. Every one simply tills his field and tends his woodland, and the honest, assiduous toil he gives thereto is his virtue. That you felled, loaded, and brought the wood, and wish no recompense for your labor, is very thankworthy. My wood was more easily felled, but those still nights which I and all of my calling pass in heavy thought, who can tell what toil there is in them? There is in the world an adjustment which no one sees, and which but seldom discovers itself. And this and that shift thither and hither, and the scales of the balance become even, and then ceases all distinction between mine and thine. And in the spirit forest rings and acts for me, and in the silent night of my spirit thinks, and my pen writes for you. The peasant passed both his hands over his temples, and his look was as though he said to himself, Where are you? Are you still in this world? Is it mortal man who speaks to you? Are you in Leipzig, in that populous city where men jostle one another for gain and bare existence? Below might be heard the creaking of the saw as the wood was being sundered. And now the near horse neighs, and Christopher is in the world again. It may injure the horse to stand so long in the cold, and no money for the wood, but perhaps a sick horse to take home into the bargain. That would be too much, he thought. Yes, yes, Mr. Professor, said he. He had his hat under his arm and was rubbing his hands. Yes, I am delighted with what I have done, and I value the lesson, believe me. More than ten loads of wood, and never shall I forget you to my dying day. And though I see you are not so poor as I had imagined, I still don't regret it. Oh, no, certainly not at all. Eh? Did you think me so very poor, then? Yes, miserably poor. I have always been poor, but God has never suffered me to be a single day without necessaries. I have in the world much happiness which I have not deserved, and much happiness I have not which, perchance, I have not deserved. I have found much favor, both high and low, for which I cannot sufficiently thank God. And now, tell me, can I not give you something, or obtain something for you? 
You are a local magistrate, I presume. Well, why so? You look like it. You might be. Christopher had taken his hat into his hands, and was crumpling it up now. He half closed his eyes, and with a sly, inquiring glance, he peered at Gellert. Suddenly, however, the expression of his face changed, and the muscles quivered as he said, Sir, what a man are you! How can you dive into the recesses of one's heart? I have really pined night and day, and been cross with the whole world because I could not be magistrate. And you, sir, you have actually helped to overcome that in me. Oh, sir, as soon as I read that verse in your book, I had an idea, and now I see still more plainly that you must be a man of God, who can pluck the heart from one's bosom and turn it round and round. I had thought I could never have another moment's happiness if my neighbor Hans Gottlieb should be magistrate, and with that verse of yours it has been with me as when one calms the blood with a magic spell. Well, my good friend, I am rejoiced to hear it. Believe me, every one has in himself alone in a whole host to govern others. What can so strongly urge men to wish to govern others? What can it profit you to be local magistrate, when to accomplish your object you must perhaps do something wrong? What were the fame, not only of a village, but even of the whole world, if you could have no self-respect? Let it suffice for you to perform your daily duties with uprightness. Let your joys be centered in your wife and children, and you will be happy. What need you more? Think not that honor and station could make you happy. Rejoice, and again I say, rejoice. A contented spirit is a continual feast. I often whisper this to myself when I feel disposed to give way to dejection. And although misery be not our fault, yet lack of endurance and of patience in misery is undoubtedly our fault. I would, my wife were here too, that she also might hear this. I grudge myself the hearing of it all alone. I cannot remember it all properly, and yet I should like to tell her word for word. Who would have thought that, by standing upon a load of wood, one could get a peep into heaven? Gellert, in silence, bowed his head, and afterwards he said, Yes, rejoice in your deed, as I do in your gift. Your wood is sacrificial wood. In olden time, and it was right in principle, because man could not yet offer prayer and thanks in spirit, it was the custom and ordinance to bring something from one's possessions as a proof of devotion. This was a sacrifice, and the more important the gift to be given, or the request to be granted, the more costly was the sacrifice. Our God will have no victims. But whatsoever you do unto one of the least of his, you do unto him. Such are our sacrifices. My dear friend, from my heart I thank you, for you have done me a kindness, and that you have given me a real undeniable proof that my words have penetrated your heart, and that I do not live on for nothing, and treasure it up in your heart that you have caused real joy to one who is often, very often, weighed down with heaviness and sorrow. You have not only kindled bright tapers upon my Christmas tree, but the tree itself burns, gives light, and warms. 
the holy spirit and its admonition to trust in the most high in this wilderness of life in mourning and in woe oh my dear friend i have been nigh unto death what a solemn a quaking stride is the stride unto eternity what a difference between ideas of death in the days of health and on the brink of the grave and how shall i show myself worthy of longer life by learning better to die and mark when i sit here in solitude pursuing my thoughts keeping some and driving away others then i can think that in distant valleys upon distant mountains there are living men who carry my thoughts within their hearts and for them i live and they are near and dear to me till one day we shall meet where there is no more parting no more separation peasant and scholar let us abide as we are give me your hand and farewell and once again the soft and the hard hand were clasped together and christopher really trembled as gellert laid his hand upon his shoulder they shook hands and therewith something touched the heart of each more impressively more completely than ever words could touch it christopher got downstairs without knowing how below he threw down the extra logs of wood which he had kept back with a clatter from the wagon and then drove briskly from the city not till he arrived at lindenthal did he allow himself and his horses rest or food he had driven away empty he had nothing in his wagon nothing in his purse and yet who can tell what treasures he took home and who can tell what indistinguishable fire he left behind him yonder by that lonely scholar gellert who usually dined at his brother's to-day had dinner brought into his own room remained quite alone and did not go out again he had experienced quite enough excitement and society had in his own thoughts oh to find that there are open susceptible hearts is a blessing to him that writes in solitude and is as wondrous to him as though he dipped his pen in streams of sunshine and as if all he wrote were light the raindrop which falls from the cloud cannot tell upon what plant it drops there is a quickening power in it but for what any thought which finds expression from a human heart an action nay a whole life is like the raindrop falling from the cloud the whole period of a life endures no longer than the raindrop needs for falling and as for knowing where your life is continued how your work proceeds you cannot attain to that and in the night all was still around nothing was astir the whole earth was simple rest as gellert sat in his room by his lonely lamp his hand lay upon an open book and his eyes were fixed upon the empty air and on a sudden came once more upon him that melancholy gloom which so easily resumes its place after more than usual excitement it is as though the soul suddenly elevated above all must still remember the heaviness it but now experienced though that expresses itself as tears of joy in the eye in gellert however this melancholy had a more peculiar phase a sort of timidity had rooted itself in him connected with his weak chest and that secret gnawing pain in his head it was a fearfulness which his manner of life only tended to increase 
surrounded though he was by nothing but love and admiration in the world he could not divest himself of the fear that all which is most horrible and terrible would burst suddenly upon him and so he gazed fixedly before him he passed his hand over his face and with an effort concentrated his looks and thoughts upon surrounding objects saying to himself almost aloud how comforting is light were there no light from without to illumine objects for us we should perish in gloom in the shadows of night and light is a gentle friend that watches by us and when we are sunk in sorrow points out to us that the world is still here that it calls and beckons us and requires of us duty and cheerfulness you must not be lost in self it says see the world is still here and a friend beside us is as a light which illumines surrounding objects we cannot forget them we must see them and mingle with them how hard is life and how little i accomplish i would fain awaken the whole world to goodness and to love but my voice is weak and my strength is insufficient how insignificant is all i do and now he rose up and strode across the room and he stood at the hearth where the fire was burning made of wood given to him that very day and his thoughts reverted to the man who had given it why had he not asked his name and where he came from perchance he might have been able in thought to follow him all the way as he drove home and now ah but yet tis more tis better as it is it is not an individual it is not so and so who has shown this gratitude but all the world by the mouth of one the kindnesses i receive he thought are indeed trials but yet i ought to accept them with thanks i will try henceforth to be a benefactor to others as others are to me without display and with grateful thanks to god our highest benefactor this will i do and search no further for the why and for the wherefore and once more a voice spoke within him and he stood erect and raised his arms on high who knows he thought whether at this moment i have not been in this or that place to this or that man a brother a friend a comforter a saviour and from house to house may be my spirit travels awakening enlivening refreshing yonder in the attic where burns a solitary light and afar in some village a mother is sitting by her child and hearing him repeat the thoughts i have arranged in verse and peradventure some solitary old man who is waiting for death is now sitting by his fireside and his lips are uttering my words and yonder in the church the choir is chanting a hymn of yours could you have written this hymn without its vigour in your heart oh no it must be there and with trembling he thought there is nothing so small as to have no place in the government of god should you not then believe that he suffered this day's incident to happen for your joy oh were it so what happiness were yours a heart renewed he moved to the window looked up to heaven and prayed inwardly my soul is with my brothers and my sisters nay it is with thee my god and in humility i acknowledge 
how richly thou hast blessed me and if in the kingdom of the world to come a soul should cry to me thou didst guide and cheer me unto happiness eternal all hail my friend my benefactor my glory in the presence of god in these thoughts let me die and pardon me my weakness and my sins and the evening and morning were the first day at early morning gellert was sitting at his table and reading according to his invariable custom first of all in the bible he never left the bible open he always shut it with a peaceful devotional air after he had read therein there was something grateful as well as reverential in his manner of closing the volume the holy word should not lie uncovered to-day however the bible was lying open when he rose his eyes fell upon the history of the creation and at the words and the evening and the morning were the first day he leaned back his head against the armchair and kept his hand upon the book as though he should grasp with his hand also the lofty thought how night and day were divided for a long while he sat thus and he was wondrously bright in spirit and a soft reminiscence dawned upon him of a bright day in childhood when he had been so happy and in Hainishin, his native place had gone out with his father for a walk an inward warmth roused his heart to quicker pulsation and suddenly he started and looked about him he had been humming a tune up from the street came the busy sound of jay at other times how insufferable he found it and how now how joyous it seemed that men could bestir themselves and turn to all sorts of occupations there was a sound of crumbling snow and how nice to have a house and a blaze upon the hearth and the evening and the morning were the first day and man getteth himself a light in the darkness but how long o oh man could you make it endure what could you do with your artificial light if god did not cause his sun to shine without it grows no grass no corn on the hand lying upon the book there fell a bright sunbeam how soon at other times would gellert have drawn the defensive curtain now he watches the little motes that play about in the sunbeam the servant brought coffee and the amanusis godike asked if there were anything to do generally gellert scarce lifted his head from his books hastily acknowledging the attention and reading on in silence to-day he motioned to godike to stay and said to sour another cup mr godike will take coffee with me god has given me a day of rejoicing sour brought the cup and gellert said yes god has given me a day of rejoicing and what i am most thankful for is that he has granted me strength to thank him with all my heart not so entirely however as i should like thank god mr professor that you are once more in health and cheerful and permit me mr professor to tell you that i was myself also ill a short time ago and then i learned a lesson which i shall never forget who is most grateful the convalescent he learns to love god and his beautiful world anew he is grateful for everything and delighted with everything what a flavor has his first cup of coffee how he enjoys his first walk outside the house outside the gate the houses the trees 
all give us greeting all is again in us full of health and joy so said godike and gellert rejoined you are a good creature and have just spoken good words certainly the convalescent is the most grateful we are however for the most part sick in spirit and have not the strength to recover and a sickly stricken spirit is the heaviest pain long time the two sat quietly together it struck eight gellert started up and cried irritably there now you have allowed me to forget that i must be on my way to the university the vacation has begun mr professor has no lecture to-day no lecture to-day ah and i believe to-day is just the time when i could have told my young friends something that would have benefited them for the whole lives there was a shuffling of many feet outside the door the door opened and several boys from st thomas school choir advanced and sang to gellert some of his own hymns and as they chanted the verse and happily there o granted heaven some blessed saint will greet me too all hail all hail to you was given to save my life and soul to you o god my god what joy to be the winner of a soul to thee gellert wept aloud folded his hands and raised his eyes to heaven a happier christmas than that of seventeen sixty eight had gellert never seen and it was his last scarcely a year after on the thirteenth of december seventeen sixty nine gellert died a pious tranquil death such as he had ever coveted as the long train which followed his bier moved to the churchyard of st john's leipzig a peasant with his wife and children in holiday clothes entered among the last it was christopher with his family the whole way he had been silent and whilst his wife wept passionately at the pastor's touching address it was only by the working of his features that christopher showed how deeply moved he was but on the way home he said i am glad i did him a kindness in his lifetime it would now be too late the summer after when he built a new house he had this verse placed upon it as an inscription accept god's gifts with resignation content to lack what thou hast not in every lot there's consolation there's trouble too in every lot end of section two and end of the story christian gellert's last christmas